All right, let's, uh, let's pray together, shall we? Let's bow our heads. Lord, thank you so much for this morning. Again, we thank you for the day you've given us. Lord, I pray that you would uh, open our ears and our hearts to your word, that, Lord, it would just be your word spoken, that we'd hear your voice, not mine, not our own thoughts, but, Lord, I pray you'd speak to us. And we pray that you would be here stirring our hearts, Lord, leading us to you. And we just lift this to you, Jesus, and we thank you in your name. Amen. Amen. The title of today's message is Declaration of Dependence. Now, uh, this elections are in a couple days. If you've not already voted, how many have already voted? Anybody already voted? Okay, so a lot of you. All right. I'm traditional. You know, I save it to the end, you know, the actual day, and so I kind of vote. And that's what I like to say to myself because I'm a procrastinator. But, um, I urge those of you who are eligible to vote, right, so hopefully if you're eligible to vote, to vote, uh, be an educated voter, don't just like, you know, bubble like you did in school, but um, be also a prayerful voter. I encourage you to be a prayerful, prayerful voter, right, know what you're praying or voting for, but be prayerful about it, and, and I want to encourage all those of you, I don't talk a lot about politics up here, but um, as you know, you can see our, our nation, I think, is really heading in the wrong direction, uh, particularly morally, and we need to be prayerful. Uh, for myself, uh, I, don't, uh, I don't look to politicians to be the moral compass, right? I don't look to politicians or expect them to be the moral leaders of our country. Um, so I don't vote thinking that they're going to be this moral moral leader or moral compass for our country, but uh, I primarily vote, base my vote on who will best represent biblical values, right? Who will best represent biblical values and who will best uh, allow us to be able to share the gospel. As Christians, that's, that's our primary uh, desire responsibility, and so I, I approach each election uh, just really praying over those things. So I encourage those of you who vote to do so um, as well. And I don't trumpet, I don't, uh, you know, uh, at the pulpit endorse particular leaders here and there. I, I don't because I can't guarantee how they'll be, right? We don't know whether they will stand true to what they promise or stand true to what we value. But, so I don't put it upon you all, but I just encourage you to be prayerful about your vote. Be prayerful about the principles in which you are voting for. Um, But the voting is um, an honor that we ought to cherish as Americans, right? It's a, it's a privilege that we have. It's a liberty that many died for. July 4th, for those of you who have taken U.S. history, we know July 4th, 1776, right? Continental Congress ratified the Declaration of Independence, right? And it's best known for its preamble. You guys are probably very familiar with this quote. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men were created equal, that they're endowed by their creator 
with certain unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So we know that Declaration of Independence is very much known for its preamble, that section. But I think what is equally powerful is how it concludes. At the end of the Declaration of Independence, they say with we therefore, the representatives of the United States of America, do solemnly publish and declare that these united colonies are and of right ought to be free and independent states, that they are absolved from allegiance to the British crown. So they're their conclusion of the Declaration of Independence. They're stating the purpose of this declaration. They want to be freed from the crown, the royal crown, they want to have this liberty to both declare war, peace, and make alliances, establish commerce. They want to be independent states. So the colonies, they left to be free, to have independence, to be free from dependence on the king of England. And they viewed this pursuit of independence, this pursuit of freedom, was worth both living for and dying for, right? All right, just so you know, the title of today's message has nothing about politics. It has nothing about U.S. history, so that's all I'm going to say about U.S. history and politics for a second. But the title of the message is very much about a declaration that we all must make. I don't know about you all, but I used to be, when I was a kid, I used to be unable to picture what the end of my life was going to look like, right? I can't conceive, when I was younger, I couldn't picture the end of my life, what it would be like, what would I look like when I'm older, you know, I just couldn't picture that when I was younger, but you know, as you get a little bit older, right, I'm not going to say I'm old, but I'm a little bit closer to being able to picture what it's going to look like towards the end of my life, what is that going to be like, what am I living for, right, as you get a little bit older, you start, your perspective changes a little bit, you start to think about those things, you start to put your life in a little bit more of the, the end perspective. What have I been living for? What does it look like? Has it been worth it? With what I'm doing, is that going towards what I, my end goal is? We're going to take a look at two perspectives in today's passage that directly affect our final destination, and how we perceive, how we approach, how we live our life for the rest of our life, the end goal, the end game, if you will. We'll look at two perspectives, and at the end of the message, you're going to need to consider what declaration will I make? Will I make a declaration of independence or a declaration of dependence? If you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 13, continuing our study in the book of Mark. Verse 13. It says, And they were bringing children to him so that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, Permit the children to come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it at all. And he took them in his arms and began blessing them, laying his hands upon them. So let me stop right there for a second. Here's a very uh, scene that's very reminiscent of chapter 9, verse 36. 
Jesus, remember at that, at that time, Jesus is addressing the disciples. They were having an argument. They're having a little bit of a debate. They're debating which one of them was going to be the greatest. Who among them is the greatest disciple? And Jesus responds by taking a child in his arms. And if you remember what he said, he says, whoever receives one child like this in my name receives me. And whoever receives me does not receive me, but him who sent me. So here we have a, never, a, a very similar scene. Jesus is there with the disciples. And, but here parents are, we assume as parents, right? They're bringing their young children to Jesus. The disciples, you would think they remember what Jesus said, right? Did they learn their lesson? Apparently not. Because as the parents are trying to bring their young children to Jesus, what are they doing? The disciples are rebuking them, stopping them, preventing them. Hey, what are you doing? Don't bring your children to the, to the Lord or the master. You know what? He's been so busy. He has no time for kids. He doesn't have time for your little baby. Go, go take your baby elsewhere. Go take your children elsewhere. In their minds, in their cultural mindset, they assumed Jesus did not have time, did not value, did not want to be troubled with the children. But what does Jesus do instead? He was indignant with the disciples. He was upset with the disciples. And he ended up rebuking them, right? And so Jesus takes the children into his arms, laid his hands on them, and blessed them. We'll take a look at what he said in verse 14 and 15 in a moment. Go to verse 17. And as he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and began asking him, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother and he said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth up. Now, this story is probably very familiar with you. How many have heard this story before? Well, it's, very, it's, it's commonly known as a story about the rich young ruler, right? And this scene starts in a very familiar way that we've seen in Mark. Here we have this ruler. He runs up, this man runs up to Jesus which was culturally a, kind of like a faux pas for a man to be running up to somebody like this. But he runs up to Jesus and he falls on his knees before Jesus. Where have we seen this before? Mark uses this term for falling on the knees one other time in his book. And that was when the leper, remember in the very beginning in chapter 1 verse 40, the leper, he runs to Jesus and falls on his knees and he says to him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Matthew uses this term for falling on the knees in referring to uh, the, the father who had the demon-possessed son, who was mute, remember that? That father ran and fell on his knees before Jesus. We know from beginning in our study of Mark, remember Jairus, he was a ruler of the synagogue. He ran over up to Jesus and fell at Jesus' feet, earnestly begging Jesus to come heal his daughter. 
So we're not given the name of this man, but this man runs up to Jesus, and you can sense there's a sense of desperation, right? You got to be pretty desperate if you're going to fall on your knees before somebody. How many of you have ever done that before? Have you ever done that before with your parents? You wanted something so bad, so you're begging on your knees, can I please, right? We don't commonly do that. But here's this man who's desperate. He's not looking for a miracle, though. But perhaps something even more important. He's seeking answers to satisfy what he feels is missing. He's looking for assurance. What does he say? Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? This is an interesting scenario. There was something that was missing and he knew it. Something was missing in his life and he knew it. And he wanted to know, what more do I need to do to inherit eternal life? What do I need to have this assurance? As Matthew puts it, what must I do to possess it? What do I need to do to get possession of eternal life? This inheritance. Well, Jesus, he doesn't directly answer the man, does he? But he will, the man will face the answer to his question. Jesus responds by listing off commandments, right? You know the commandments. And how does the man respond? He says, I have kept them since childhood. Those commandments, yeah, yeah. I kept those ever since I was a kid. Look what happens next. And looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him. I love this. I love this part. Here's this man who's desperate. He goes to Jesus. I need answers. What else do I need to do for eternal life? And Jesus responds by all these commands. He says, I've done all those things since I was a kid. Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for this man. And said to him, one thing you lack Go and sell all you possess and give to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But at these words his face fell, and he went, went away grieved, for he was one who owned much property. I imagine this man went from feeling desperate to really hopeful, right? He's desperate. He wants to find assurance. Jesus says, well, you know the commandments. Boom, 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 boom. And he, I, I would imagine he's like, okay, I've done all those things. I've done all those things. He's been diligent in following the commandments. Maybe he's doing the mental check as Jesus is saying this, right? Do not commit murder. Murder? No way. No way. Do not commit adultery. Adultery? No, no, no. Not me. That's not me. I wouldn't do that. Thou shalt not steal. Steal? Why would I do that, right? I'm not one to steal. I wouldn't even think of it. No false witness. False witness, what do I have to hide, right? Why would I have to give a false witness? That's not me. Honor your father and mother. Honor your father and mother, I got that covered. I'm their favorite son, right? There's no way that's not me. I'm sure he's doing these mental check marks. I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. But then his heart dropped. His countenance fell. Why? He goes away feeling grieved. 
He lacked one thing. Have you ever been in a conversation like that? You're feeling good, and then just one phrase, and you're like, uh-oh. What's happening next? Jesus says he lacked one thing. Go and sell all you have, give to the poor, and come follow Jesus. Notice what Jesus declared to the man. He said, you do those things. Give your things away. Give to the poor. You will have treasures in heaven. Do you notice that? Jesus said, you do those things. You will have treasures in heaven. And come and follow me. But you notice, that promise of treasures in heaven was no consolation to the man. You notice that? That was no consolation. Treasures in heaven, yeah, whatever that means. Wasn't even thinking about that. I will have to do what? I'm going to have to do what? Imagine facing the decision that you had to give up everything that you earned or you thought you earned. Imagine having to surrender up everything that you worked so hard for. And you had to give it up in exchange to following Jesus. Many would say, Jesus. No, I didn't mean to say that as a curse word. (laughs) That that sounds bad. (laughs) What I was going to (laughs) say, many would say, Jesus, that is too much to ask. Many would say if they're faced with that decision, I have to give up all these things that I've worked so hard for all my life, all I've accumulated. Have you seen my man cave? Have you seen my trophy case? Have you seen my walls? And you're asking me to surrender all those things? Lord, that's too much. Too much to ask. Verse 23, and Jesus, looking around, said to his disciples, how hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus answered again and said to them, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were even more astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Looking upon them, Jesus said, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, Behold, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there was no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake but that he shall receive a hundred times as much now in the present age, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Maybe you're thinking, you're hearing that, and you're saying, wait, wait, wait a second, Pastor Mike. Are you telling us That in order for us to have eternal life, Jesus is telling us we have to sell all that we have. We have to give to the poor. Is that what you're saying? Are you saying that in order for us to have eternal life, in order for us to follow Jesus, we have to give all that up? Are you saying that I can't be rich and have eternal life? 
Are you saying the Powerball ticket I just bought is worth nothing? I'd have to give it all up? I won't ask how many got it. I won't show you my ticket. No, just kidding. Is it impossible to be rich and to go into heaven? We'll get, to what, we'll get to the rich young ruler in a moment, and we'll answer some of these questions in a moment. When we look at our passage today, I want us to look at three parts in this passage. Jesus with the children, Jesus with the rich young ruler, and Jesus with the disciples, right? There's three sections here in this passage that we looked at. Now, what's the common theme or thread in these three sections that we saw in this passage? Common theme, the common thread, is the kingdom of God. In each of these parts, Jesus addresses the kingdom of God, or in other words, eternal life. We'll see in this passage that the kingdom of God, eternal life, and salvation are these parallel concepts, these parallel themes throughout this passage. We see the kingdom of God is mentioned five times. Verse 14, verse 15, verse 23, verse 24, verse 25. Eternal life is mentioned two times in verse 17 and in verse 30. And then in the middle of all this, this word saved is mentioned one time in verse 26. See, as believers in Christ, right, we are anticipating Jesus' return. And when he returns, he's going to bring his kingdom. He is going to reign on this earth. It's not going to be an election issue. He is going to reign. So we are awaiting his return, his kingdom to come. We are also awaiting eternal life, right? The promise of eternal life. No more death, no more suffering. And then we also are receiving our salvation, Right? We're, we're saved, but we're also awaiting our full realization of our salvation, where we're being saved from condemnation. We are saved from judgment for our sin. So these three parallel concepts here, the kingdom of God, the eternal life, and being saved. And in this passage, we see these two contrasting perspectives about how to enter the kingdom of God. How to have eternal life. How does one inherit the kingdom of God? How can I be saved? And so Jesus teaches us the first perspective here in verses 14 and 15. When he tells the the disciples, permit the children to come to me. Don't hinder them. Why? Because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I truly say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it at all. So what is Jesus saying about entering the kingdom of God? He says the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Who are such as these? Such as these young children. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God, again, receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it at all. You know, it's funny how we spend most of, our time, most of our lives growing up, right? Don't be such a kid. Don't be such a child. Right? We spend all our lives growing up from our childhood. And here Jesus says, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. What is Jesus saying by this? Obviously, Jesus is not meaning that the kingdom of God is being run by a bunch of children, Right? That's not what he's saying. That'd be kind of a funny concept, right? It'll make a good children's movie or something like that. But he's not saying the kingdom of God is going to be run by a bunch of children. 
Nor is he telling us that we need to be a bunch of kids to enter the kingdom of God. That's not what he's saying. What is he getting at? Remember in context, children were not valued as like some social status. They didn't have any social status in the culture of the time. Why? Because children are completely dependent upon their parents, right? Completely dependent upon the parents. We don't look to when we have newborn babies. We don't look to them and look at them and tell them, if you want to be fed, you got to earn it. Do you ever do that to your little kids? The babies or the kids stare at them crying and crying. Yeah, I know you want some food. You got to earn it. What are you going to do for me? Right? I don't think we do that. I don't think you do that to your kids, at least the young kids. Jesus isn't talking about those kind of children either. Those kind of children who are looking up at their parents with a scowl on their face. You need to give me what I want. He's not talking about those kind of children who are demanding, Mom, Dad, you need to give me one. This is what I want, and I want it now. He's not talking about those children. What's he saying here? Children are completely dependent on their parents. I can't have this without you. There's nothing I can do. I look at my newborn or I look at my little kid. There's nothing that the little kid can do to earn my love. I just give my love to the kids. I'm not asking my young kids to earn my love and affections. And Jesus says, to enter the kingdom, you need to receive the kingdom of God just like a child. To better understand this concept, look at the rich young ruler. What does he ask? What must I do? do to enter or to have eternal life we know from all three gospel accounts this man was rich he was young and he was a ruler he had some position of authority right perhaps you could say this young man had it all can you imagine for those of you parents who have daughters imagine the scenario your daughter comes to you say mom dad i met the man i'm gonna marry what are some of the qualifications that run through your mind? What are some of the check marks you want him to meet? Is he a young man? You kind of want him to be, if your daughter's a young man, we kind of hope that he's a young man, right? He's not like an older, older, older man, right? Well, uh, what does he do for a living? Are you going to be set? Oh, yeah, he's rich. He has a lot. You should check out his car and his other car. You should see where he lives and his beach house. Well, what does he do living? Oh, man, he's in a position. He has, he has people working for him. He has authority. He has power. What's the next common question? Is he a nice boy? Oh, yeah. Well, he just, he is just, treats his parents well. He doesn't harm other people. He's just a good guy. This young man seems to check all the boxes. Yet this man, who would think would be so confident, he was lacking. He came to Jesus so uncertain, he was lacking. It's interesting that the people who have the most, who seem to have it all together, are often the most insecure people. Have you noticed that? Have you ever seen that? The people who seem to have it all. You think these celebrities who have so much, 
They are the most insecure people because all their security is in what they've accumulated and what they've earned. Jesus goes and he lists all these commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. But what does Jesus say? One thing you lack. What Jesus specifies to this young man was less about what he had to give up and more about what he was already lacking. He thought he had enough. He needed assurance. But what Jesus tells him was less about what he had to give up and more about what he was already lacking. Notice when he says the commandments, what's missing in these commandments here? You notice? He doesn't mention the commandments directed to the Lord, does he? No other gods before me. No images or idols. Do not take the name of the Lord in vain. Honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. Remember, Jesus is answering this man's question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus' words sunk his heart. And I don't think Jesus, uh, it was coincidence that he omitted these commandments that's devoted to the Lord. I think what was missing for this man was that was he as devoted to the Lord as he is to his riches? Was he as devoted to honoring God as he was to doing all these things, accumulating all these things? See, another theme throughout Mark we see is people's relationship with Jesus. We see who is following Jesus. Why are they following Jesus? Who's leaving Jesus, right? Who walks away from Jesus? This man, he came to Jesus wanting to know if he had done enough. But what happens? He left Jesus grieved. Why? Because none of it was enough. He was wanting to know, did I do enough? Is there anything more I need to do? But he left grief because he realized none of it was enough. The price, and the price was too heavy for him to let go. When Jesus gives him that response, he thought, oh, I don't know if I can do that. We see it, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed. And then later in verse 25, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were so astonished, they asked him this question, then who can be saved? Why do the disciples ask that? I think they ask that. Why? Then who can be saved? Because it's probably because it's a common desire for many people, right? Isn't it a universal common desire to have a little bit of wealth? To want to be a little rich? And when Jesus says how difficult it is, then they're probably thinking, man, who can, who can be saved then? But again, Jesus' comment is less about being wealthy He's not forbidding riches as it is more about the reality of riches because the focus would be on the wrong thing. When you're focused on accumulating riches, 
You're thinking about what I need to do, what I need to do to earn these things, what I need to do to get these things. And you're so focused on that that you're not focused on glorifying God. Glorifying self or glorifying God. Is Jesus forbidding wealth or riches? No, 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 no. That's not the point. In fact, I'm very encouraged by those who have wealth, who have some level of wealth or riches and can honor the Lord with their wealth. They realize their wealth, their success, what they have is a blessing from God. That God has blessed them with these things. And that they have a heart and desire to say, God, I pray that I can honor you with what you have given me. It's impossible to purchase our eternal inheritance. Salvation is not earned. It's not based on our goodness. It's not based on our achievements. Jesus is saying it's impossible for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God from this perspective. But with God, all things are possible. I mentioned two approaches and lay out these two approaches and we're almost done. What we see in these two approaches to the kingdom of God, the first thing we see, Jesus requires this dependence on God. He says, receive the kingdom of God like a child. The approach that we are to have about the kingdom of God, eternal life, how we are to approach it, says, approach it like a child that is so dependent on God. God, I cannot have this, nor do I deserve it. I can't have it without you. I need you to be able to give to me. The second approach, Jesus describes as an impossibility, independence from God. Some people approach getting eternal life or this kingdom or whatever it is as saying, God, I want independence from you. I want to declare that I want to be separate from you. I want to say, I want to do it my way. I'm going to do it myself. I'm going to earn it myself. I'm going to do my thing, be as good of a person as I possibly can be, and roll the dice. Two perspectives. Peter interjects, we'll end with this passage. Peter began to say to him, Behold, we have left everything and followed you, right? And Jesus makes his promises. Those who have left house and brothers and family and farms for my sake and the gospel's sake, but he shall receive a hundred times as much now in the present age, houses and brothers and sisters, mothers and children and farms, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and last will be first. Jesus declares to those who left all to follow him will be blessed a hundred times over. Another is saying, if you're willing to forsake and leave all for me, you will be blessed. You will be blessed. But Jesus also makes it clear, don't be surprised to experience persecution for following him. There is a cost to following Jesus. There's a cost. If you say, I'm going to follow Jesus, don't be surprised if you're labeled unjustly. If you're willing to follow Jesus, don't be surprised if your social circle says, you know what, we don't want anything to do with you. 
Don't be surprised if you have to change some things in your life. But the question is, will you exchange anything in this life for your soul? We exchange anything that you can accumulate in this life for eternity. Jesus repeats a similar message in 9.35, but many who are first will be last and last first. Jesus, again, talking about greatness. It's not about temporal. It's not a timing issue. If you desire prominence here on earth, don't expect prominence, that level of prominence in eternity. Those who desire to be first will be last, and last will be first. Let's wrap this up. Some things to think about and marinate over this passage. Something to think about. What declaration do you make in the course of your life? Will you declare your independence from the riches of the world? Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to declare your independence from the riches of the world? In other words, if we earned and received, if you earned and received all that you can have and accomplish and everything you can ask for. And the Lord asked you to surrender it in exchange for the promise of eternal life. Would you struggle with that decision? Would that be a hard decision to make? For those of you who are not believers in Christ, If God was to give you everything in exchange for eternal life, is it worth it? For those of you who are believers in Christ, are you so tied down to the things of this world that is keeping you from being fully devoted to the Lord? Don't be a slave to the wealth, but rather declare your dependence on the Lord. Remember what it's like to be a child and say, I need my mom and dad to give to me. I can't earn it. Do we have that dependence on the Lord? Say, God, I declare my dependence on you. I need you. I want to follow you. Whatever you bless me with, whatever opportunities you've given me in my life, If you choose to bless me with whatever level of wealth, whatever level of materialism, whatever it is, Lord, that is your blessing to me. But that's not because, hey, I earned this. This was due to me. Third thing, be unapologetically devoted to the Lord. Be unapologetically devoted to the Lord. My whole analogy in the beginning about the Declaration of Independence, I'm not associating God with King George. Okay, Hopefully I make that clear. God is not King George. Rather, what is the picture we see? God is a loving God. Notice what Jesus saw. He saw this young man who was desperate, who thought he could earn it. And what does it say? He looked at him with love. His heart was moved with love for this man. This young man who was trying to earn, trying to do all he could to have eternal life was probably so close, but he also knew the one thing he lacked, he was unwilling to do, at least in the moment. I urge all of us to be so devoted to the Lord 
the Lord who loves you, who looks upon you with love, and say, are you willing to follow me? Are you willing that if you need to surrender these things, that you will do so to follow me, knowing that I will take care of you. I will bless you. He told the young man, you will have riches in heaven, but that wasn't enough. He was not willing to be devoted to the Lord. Are we willing to declare our independence from the riches of the world? Declare our dependence on the Lord and be so devoted to him. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Father God, we come before you. We're confronted with these two scenarios. In one side, we see these young children. They probably don't know any better. So dependent upon their parents. And they look to the mom and dad and say, I need you. But then we have the scenario of this rich young man who accumulated all these things and was searching for what else can I do for the assurance of eternal life, the inheritance of the kingdom of God. Lord, I pray that you would help us to have the right perspective. It's not about what we can earn or what we can do. But Lord, it's about what you have done for us. And Lord, you are worthy of our devotion. You are worthy for us to forsake all to follow you.